Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined by Julie Pico. Today we're revisited. Yes. We're revisited by Julie Pico. And this conversation is dismantling her latest IEP experiences as her daughter Elise transitions into the elementary school system. We haven't had a episode dedicated to just IEPs in a while. And it's something that I'm so glad we're getting back into because it is really a foundation of why we created this podcast and it's the information that we really needed. It's the information that we want to share. We all know what our experience is and and I believe that they may be varied and I'm hopeful that some people do receive their right to an education and the supports that their child needs to access that curriculum. Unfortunately, the denial of our children's rights to an education is still a pretty relevant part of our journey. And so we want to stop and take a moment to revisit it, not only to bring things up to date, but also because we are different people now. And we have insights as to some of the things that we would have done differently, some of the things that we would have changed, and really areas that need some attention our feelings, our instincts, and our ultimate goal of supporting our child and advocating for them so that they may receive that civil right of an equal education. And want to thank Julie's husband, Aaron, for watching the kids. So we had some time with Julie Pico. Hi, Julie. Hi. Thanks for coming back. It's good to see you guys again. I know. Thank Aaron. I know Aaron's back on duty. Yep. Got the the kids in tow. Yeah, that's part of the team, right? Behind the scenes. So today we're going to talk about IEPs. And Elise is at the point now that she's coming out of early intervention and going into the school system. I remember that time. Yeah, I remember how traumatic that time was. Because even the early intervention, we were fortunate to have like a nice team for Liam and then transitioning into the school system was like that ice bucket challenge where someone throws like a bucket of ice water on you. It wasn't fun at all. Shocking and uncomfortable. It was shocking and uncomfortable because I think for us, when we've always thought of the school system, you know, our daughter was already in school and you just think of school. Everybody goes to school. And we learn not everybody gets an equal education, an equal opportunity for an education and their civil right to an education. Not everybody gets that. It's challenged. And so we got it when Liam was three. When Liam was three, we learned. We, we came on board. Yeah, it's been tough. We had uh, three IEPs since the last time we spoke because the first one, which was in January 26 of 2022, Um, was Elise's annual. And then this year we had to do two almost back to back because they needed to do the annual before her birthday. But I was not allowed to do her transitional kindergarten IEP until the next month. 
And I didn't know that until I was in that, uh, the IEP on January, I believe it was the 26th again, 2023. Is that something they could have told you? And is that something that they could have combined? I'm not sure if they could have combined it, but um, they certainly could have told me because in my communications with my case manager that I had for the one um, in January of 2023, I made it very clear that I was under the assumption that we were going to be doing the transitional kindergarten because Elise was turning five. And I had always been told that's the one you do when you're doing the transitional kindergarten. And I sent her different things related to that as far as like where she was going to be going. Um, We spoke on the phone when she did the interview with me and I talked about that and she didn't say anything. And it wasn't actually until after that IEP that I got a call from our new P-Kit, which I'll backtrack a little bit and explain some of that. And her name is Haya. And Haya has been amazing. She gave me a call almost immediately and started asking me about the transitional kindergarten IEP and explained to me that they couldn't be done until the following month. And she was like, but let's get that done right away because you have all these things that you were able to secure in your last IEP. And that way we can help you secure them. And it turned out that Haya became our new case manager. And the difference we experienced between her and our last case manager was night and day. She was actually an advocate, so much so that when we were in our IEP meeting with her, she was not only giving us everything that we knew Elise needed, but more. And I was afraid she was going to get in trouble when she got off of the phone with us, with her her people. I just didn't know because before that, it had been such a difference. I had been lied to. I had been misled. I had had people trying to manipulate me um, in order to not give Elise services. So that was uh, a breath of fresh air. And I I don't know if we're going to be able to keep her once she's at uh, CWC, but I really certainly hope we can. I think we gloss over the fact that you say stuff like things were going to be withheld from Elise services and stuff. And we just kind of gloss over and go, okay. I was lied to. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And uh, it's a real thing. And it's a real stress that parents deal with. But it's also uh, unnerving and disappointing and infuriating. I just have a question as you're saying that is, do you think that knowing like now the difference between the two caseworkers could you, would you go back? Would you, once you were lied to the first time, would you ask for a different caseworker? Yes. So that's something we can learn is to say, if you ask something and you know, I I always recommend, you know, I always encourage everyone to know what their rights are and what the law is. So you know that your child is allowed a place in the inclusive classroom with the supports they need to access the curriculum. And if you have a caseworker who's trying to tell you something else, uh, because if they don't, if they're not going to be in that classroom, an inclusive classroom with the supports, it's the burden of the caseworker to prove, prove that they should not be in an inclusive classroom because the inclusive classroom is idea. That's the, that's the law. If the first time you see a lie or you feel like you get one of those underhanded comments. And we had some doozies. 
and I think it's because you're new to the system that you don't like, it's like you're, you're walking in a, in a garden and then like a cheetah attacks you, you know, it's like, you're not expecting it. So you're like, that didn't just happen. Or maybe that cheetah was, maybe I'm, maybe I did something. I think the lesson is to reach out, file a complaint and ask for a new person. Yeah. And I hope that you can get a new person because I know that the person I had was assigned to me specifically because of where our district school was. Could you go higher though? Could you start right then just write to the district and say, my right is for my child to have an inclusive classroom with the supports to access the curriculum. And this woman just told me, no, we don't do that. Or my child doesn't need an education or there's no reason my child will never read. I mean, isn't that a, a reason to, because that is all speculation. That has nothing to do with the Especially law. Especially at three years and old. It has, yeah. And it has nothing to do with their job. Their job is not to look at my child and make assumptions. So going back, I mean, isn't that a reason to just say, gosh, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to file a complaint and I think I need a different caseworker who's not throwing their personal opinions about my child's limits Instead of just upholding their job, their job is to get my child the supports they need to access the curriculum by law. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I had a lawyer and it was still going on and and it was systemic because it was happening at different uh, levels within LAUSD as well. You know, if you go back to the first one, the, the, the first IEP, which was uh, about a year and a half ago, and I had spoken with you guys and I had some great things to say that I knew would be helpful to to be able to speak about in the IEP. And then I hired Georgiana and she was going to be my lawyer. Um, and the case manager, my first experiences with her were at the school. So I had spoken to her a couple of times on the phone. And I don't remember if we spoke about this in the last podcast because it was before the IEP, but after I had figured out who my case manager was, because I didn't even know we had a case manager. I was getting all of my information from our wonderful therapist at the time on how to navigate the system. And it wasn't until somebody else in the uh, special education department of LAUSD was like, oh, you have a case manager. And I was like, I do. And so I reached out and she called back and asked me if I would do an assessment with her and that it was not a formal assessment, that she just wanted to talk to me on the phone. And I I thought, well, this seems really strange. And I got off the phone with her and I called you um, and you were like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) You're like, you need to talk to your lawyer. Don't, Don't do anything unless it's recorded. And you were right. It was a formal assessment. That was a lie. I called Georgiana. I secured her. Um, it, it was an assessment that the parent has to do anyways. It was a questionnaire. So just so I just want people to know that all assessments have to be requested in writing. So they can't just say, I want to do an assessment. So if you get this random phone call from someone who says, I just want to talk, you can say, aren't all assessments are to be requested in writing? Can you please send over your request? Because that way you can look over what exactly on that piece of paper that talks about assessments, they have to tell you what they're assessing and why. And so ask for it. I always tell parents, no informal 
conversations. I can't tell you how many things were said to us like, hey, can I just talk to you? Hey, can I just grab you for a minute? And everything. It took us a couple of years. Outside of school. Outside of school or like in the hallway at school, you know, anything to have your guard down and make you feel comfortable. Uh, and first of all, they'll try to get you to agree something to something. And just so you know, unless it's in writing, that agreement, you're not bound to it. So if they say, hey, why don't we try this? And you're like, oh, and you just, you're not bound to it. I encourage people to say, you know, can you put that in writing, please, for me? So I can, and my lawyer can look over it. Can you put that in writing? Everything. Can you put that in writing? And if it is on the go, send an email and say, as per our conversation, when you said this, I highly disagree. And I believe blah, 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 you know, or when you agreed to give my child that extra 30 minutes, can you, can we add that into the IEP now? Can we have an emergency and amendment IEP? These are things that I wish I knew then. All in writing. All Leave in a paper trail. Writing. And I learned a couple of those lessons the hard way, even though you gave me that advice and I did do it in that instance. And, uh, that all worked out. I ended up doing the interview with her um, after seeing the form and sending it to Georgiana and her saying, yes, this is a, a standard questionnaire that they ask parents and go ahead and fill that out. And then Georgiana requested a full IEP because um, the last time Elise had an IEP, it was all online because she, it was her first IEP, the, the one before that, because it was the pandemic. And so they wanted, she wanted a full assessment done of Elise and we went in and, um, you know, we saw the, the psychologist, I believe she was a psychologist and OT specialist. And she went through all of those and that all went really well. And in their assessments, it was clear that they felt Elise was very capable of being with her typical peers. But yet, even in that IEP, they did not end up offering that, but there were some specific things that happened that I think would be good for new parents going through this to think about too and just trust their gut that I felt were um, manipulative behaviors leading up to the IEP. And I'll just show you, I, I know you'll laugh because I'm sure you have something like this. This is my tracking form. I have about, you know, 40 pages here of like bullet points of things that have happened, specifically things when I felt like something was off. For all the listeners, this is a stack of paper stapled together typed on one side and a lot of notes on the other. Obviously, the Julie, you're doing your due diligence and there's a lot of a lot of note taking. A lot of note taking and, and it's um all on my computer too, digital. So but I just kind of keep going along and I have used this to be able to re refer back to things because you know time goes on, you forget and you're like, wait, did they say that or is that just the way I perceived it? And I just felt like it was really helpful to have that. Um, our case manager ended up coming to uh, the campus, the school campus where I take Lise to get her therapies. And there were a couple of things that could have been innocent, but my gut was that what they weren't and they didn't end up being innocent. I want to say, and I think that's what happens to us. We're, we're good people there to support our child who's a brilliant, beautiful light in the world, like every child. And so we give people the benefit of the doubt and I've quoted this woman before on my podcast, I'm going to quote Oprah Winfrey again and say, when people show you who they are, believe them. That's a great quote. Because that, that will cut through a lot of, because I think, I feel like a lot of our challenges too were to be like, there's no way they're denying my child their right to an education. There's no way. Well, there is a way and they do it. 
And they do do it. And just I, not advocating for my daughter, but having advocated for so many years for other marginalized groups, there are certain behaviors that you start to recognize um, in people who are trying to pull you in to feel confident, like a confidence person, right? Feel confident. So then they can make you feel like they're on your side, but then turn the tables and get you to do what they want. And that's kind of what I felt like was going on. So the first time we met her, she just said, hi, she didn't really talk a whole lot to us. And she said, it was nice to meet her in person. The second time she came, I felt like, um, like the way I wrote it was this time, it felt like she was much more forward with Elise and picked her up without asking for permission or asking Elise if that was okay. Um, I was a little surprised by this. And then on our way out, as I was signing us out, Elise bent over to touch a leaf on the floor and this caseworker quickly bent down and took Elise's arm and proceeded to tell her not to touch it and all about it wasn't safe. Again, I was surprised by how comfortable she seemed to feel touching my child without permission. Um, I tried to think the best of people, but it felt invasive. And what I felt was happening was she was trying to position herself as an expert on my child and to see how I reacted. I also know though that and and I think this might go back to our roots as a, a colonialist society that you know where they would say if you're too emotional you know women are too emotional if people are too emotional then what happens is where they react too strongly people then disregard what they're saying and so coming at things calm and more from an assessment standpoint then people tend to listen to you better and it it doesn't it's not natural. Like, I feel like if I, uh, maybe I've talked about this before, but I feel like if I'm in another country and I've been in other countries, if someone cuts you off in the road, people will just swear. Or if they feel like the, they're not being respected as a customer, they'll yell and it's just part of the culture and people, okay, you're right. I'm going to fix it. Where if I'm in the post office and I start going, Hey, what's going on in here? This is ridiculous. We shouldn't be treated this way. Everyone's like, Oh, Oh, be careful. That woman, you know, give her a little space. And so when I say I didn't react, there was a reason that I just kind of calmly wanted to assess what was going on because I think she was also assessing me. And this behavior did continue. So the next time she came, Elise started talking and Elise was not very um, articulate. So most of what she would say, if you were not aware of what she was talking about or hadn't been around her a while, you wouldn't be able to understand most of what she was saying. And Elise was trying to say something to her and her caseworker was repeating it back incorrectly. So I just said, um, she said, sister. And the caseworker said, no, she said this. And again, I was like, okay, this is just confirming uh, my, my feelings. And then um, Elise said it again more clearly, and it was clear that she said uh, sister. And again, I thought it was like, okay, she's assuming uh, a position of knowing my daughter, understanding her better. And then it came, kind of what I was expecting to come. While we're sitting there watching her doing her PT, she says, oh, yes, I think she's going to do just great at the uh, Sylvan Park Early Education Center. We haven't had the IP. She's deciding where Elise is going to go. And so I corrected her right then. And so this is where I was like, okay, she's waiting to see now where I'm at with that. And I said, no, um, she won't be going there. And we then had a conversation where I explained to her where she would be going. And then she tried to turn around and talk about how she actually had studied in college about inclusion and 
we talked a little bit about things needing to be developed more around inclusivity, but I already knew at that point by the way she was looking to me, the way she was talking to me, she was never going to offer at least anything um, less restrictive than that. That was going to be it. It was that and PALS program. And um, I feel like those are the only two things they must have because there's only two things that have ever really been offered to us up until our last IEP with our new case manager, who is just wonderful. But once we got to the IEP, even though those were the only two schools they offered to her, they did put a notation that they understood she was going to be going to a part-time private preschool, and they would still allow me to take her to her therapies at the school. So there's so much that you said that I was yeah. like, oh my gosh. So I want to start for, we might have to have a third conversation. <laughs> so I want to start because this, I really want to stop. I feel like sometimes we have these conversations and then I'm like, we didn't stop. We didn't stop in those moments and really explore them. And I think that's what parents need. One is historically women have been oppressed and verbiage has been used above us to make us self-conscious, to make us deny our worth and our value and our strength and all of these things. Well, I'm done with that. And I really do feel like this generation that's coming up is done with it as well. We had the Me Too movement. We've had all of these movements, you know, of course it started in the 70s, but we've had all, all of these movements of just every marginalized group finding their strength and standing in their power. And the people who are gonna be like, don't be emotional, and then label us, don't make me emotional. I do believe that in an IEP, uh, it's important to not bring emotion into it. And it's not because I don't want you emotional. I know for a fact that they then take your emotions and use them against you. So there's two-sided. I say don't be emotional because you can think clearer and just stick to the facts. They don't care if they're denying your child their education. They know they are. So there's no reason to be emotional over that. There's no reason to get mad at them. They, I've been in a room, I've said it, and they don't care. If they're doing it, they know they're doing it, they don't care. So why get emotional over it? Just see it for what it is and have all of your information with you so you can come from a very factual and logical place and then put the burden of proof on them because that's really where it is. The law states they have to prove they cannot educate your child. And then if they can't, they need to pay for a way to do it. So as far as them not wanting you to be emotional, if, if you're going to touch my child, I'm going to call you out on it. If someone touches your child, say, please don't touch my child. That's 101. And that right there, file a report right there and say, I don't feel comfortable with this caseworker. They touched my child twice. And they don't know my child. We know it's manipulative behavior. We had the same kind of thing. You know, the phone call and I'm telling them where my child's going to go. And they're like, uh-huh, yeah. And I'm like, so my child is going to be in an inclusive classroom, blah, 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 blah. And they did the same thing where they're like, here's the special day classes that we want to put them in. I was like, we discussed, that's not what we're doing. And it was a pulling the rug from underneath us. So looking back, yeah. I think being present in each moment and calling it for what it is, seeing it for what it is. This is the, I was taking notes as you were going, because when they say we, these are the two places we're going to offer, that's not your child's right. Your child's right is in the classroom. So instead you say, okay, well, that's not what we're doing. We're doing inclusion. What are you, since you don't think my child can do this, what supports are you going to provide 
to allow them to access the curriculum then. In the classroom, if you think that they need help, great. What are you going to provide to help them? That's a really good point. But because you know, right, um, she's totally capable. She's, she's right there. But you're right. I think she could use some support. What support will you offer? Because the law is you must offer that support so she can access the curriculum. Really great idea. I was thinking speech. I was thinking OT. I was thinking resource. What were you thinking? And turn it. Turn it on them. That's great advice. Let's make sure we do identify the elephant in the room and the fact why we as parents and as caregivers put up with a lot of this stuff. It's a high-pressure situation in our mind. These people are the only way of getting our kids in the educational path that we want or any educational path. So we've given them a lot of power. We want this meeting to go great. We have a whole outset of goals we have. So we want to cater to this person. And that's not where we need to come from. No, because I think it's fear. We don't want to cater to them because they're great and helping our child. We want to cater to them because we're afraid. And there's no place for fear when the law is on your side. Yes, because if you're going in the way that we went in, oh yeah, uh, that's cupcakes saying, and muffins. Hey, can we uh, uh, can we get this favor done? It's not a favor. It's your right. And if I could go back again, I wouldn't come from a place of fear. I wouldn't come from a place of, oh, please, sir, may I have some more? That person who's lying to me needs a different job, and I want a different person. And at that point in time, I can file a report against them. I can file a grievance, and I can go straight to the district. Mm-hmm. Because that's why all these people are like the little pawns out in front. And they work most of the time. They absolutely do their job most of the time. And we want that to stop. We want them to be doing their job the way your new caseworker did. Mm -hmm. Now, the one thing I would say that did benefit us um, because, you know, we were, they, they told us that this is the placement they're going to do for Liam there. We want you to visit these three special day classes, which I will say again, a special day class may be good for some people. Right. And if you know, it's right for your family, then that's what's right for your family. It is not right for our son. But our lawyer, I think, is the one who said, go visit the special day classes. That way you have something to speak on. And what happened is we went because they were all out of they were out of our area. All of them were inappropriate. But by seeing them, we could then go to the IEP and tell them why they were inappropriate. And that gathered information. Yeah. So if you find yourself in a situation that you don't want to be in because they're doing this strong arm thing and trying to tell you they know your child better. Just use it as a source of information and know that the law is on your side. And so, and going, trust your instincts because yeah. when you said that you ran into a couple of occasions here where they would say things and you were even like, wait, from my past experience of marginalized groups, I even see these signs. Or, like I've said so many times in the podcast, from having bought a used car before, I can kind of understand how I'm going to be manipulated in a situation like this. It's not an innocent thing. Mm-mm. This isn't an, oh, just happened to say that. This is strategic tools that are being used. And as soon as you see that, see it for what it is, mm-hmm. then you can move forward in a much more productive way. Even if it's not saying, hey, you know what? I'm filing a grievance. I'm getting a new person. Just to be able to be aware of those things right? and say, no, that's not, you know, that's not working on me. And before you file your complaint, email them. Say, this is what you said to me. Say, hey, in regards to your comment, blah, 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 blah. I wanted to follow up 
And if there was something that they said to you, can you please put it in writing why you believe blah, 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 blah. Then you put that email and most of the time people respond. I'm always amazed what people are willing to say when they feel like they're just demonstrative and they just want to, when they, when they not only misjudge my child, but they misjudge me and they're just going to, I'm always amazed at what people will say in writing too, where I just say, thank you very much. And then you take those two pieces of paper and you put them with your complaint because then you actually have it in writing. Yes. I think having things in writing is really important. And, and yeah, I would agree with what you were both saying there is we need to trust our guts. And I feel like so often as we were growing up as, as young women, and I'm sure young men feel this way too, or all people feel this way is, is you're told that maybe your gut is wrong. And we, but I absolutely feel like there's instincts there for a reason and to trust that. And then you can be prepared. So I was prepared when she made that comment. I knew it was, I knew something was coming and I was ready to shut it down. Although it didn't change too much of how she approached things. It made it clear to her, I know what's happening here and I'm not going to just say nothing. And it was good to be able to tell my lawyer then too. And, you know, you have these notes and you can let them know what you're dealing with. And then it happened again. Um, so when I was at the assessments with Elise and I was leaving, one of the gentlemen who had been asking me questions uh, about Elise, as we're walking out to my car, he goes, I see you got a lawyer for your IEP. And I said, yes. He goes, do you mind me asking why? And I said, well, because one, there have been behaviors that make me believe I need one. And two, it's very common knowledge within the um IEP community that if you don't have an advocate or a lawyer, your rights are not usually going to be observed. And he said, oh, he goes, well, I was wondering because if you have anybody who's doing anything, you can let me know. And I know the person to tell them about. And I said, okay, thank you. But again, my gut was, I, I don't know this person. I don't know that they have my child's best interest in mind. They're coming across very nice, but I don't know that. That very gentleman is the one who in the IEP uh, someone chastised me for saying that Elise would be better placed in one of the placements that they recommended and not in a private preschool. And he was like, you know, I just think this is a disservice to her. I just think this is wrong. And this is after we all agreed, this is what I was going to be doing. And I just said to him, well, you know, I thank you for your opinion, but this is my child and I know what's best for her. And I'm not making this decision only on what's best for um, Elise, I'm looking at the data and stats about best practices for child development in the long term. And this is what I would do for my other child. And she can do everything my other child can do as well. So I'm making this decision for her. And everyone else is like, I shouldn't say everyone else, but you know, the therapists that are there are all nodding their heads. Yes, right. Because therapists are very in tune with child development practices and not so much around putting kids in a place just because that's what we do. But again, my gut was right. They did not honor our request for a one-on-one. -on -one. So our, our lawyer put in, you know, for our IEP that we didn't agree with that. And then another occasion happened that let me knew this was a systemic problem. So I get a call from a woman named Ida. And she says, okay, I see here that uh, your lawyer is requesting a behavioral specialist for Elise. And so I needed to ask you some questions. And I said, okay, I should have recorded it. I should have said, send it in writing. 
and I didn't. And she said, you know, I just need to know, like, it doesn't look from, from this IEP that she has any behaviors that require a behavioral specialist. And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? She said, well, she, does she hurt people? Does she get angry? And I said, no, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't hurt anyone. She doesn't have any of those behavioral issues, but her issues are accessing the curriculum. And I went in to describe how we needed someone to keep her on task because she needs a one-on-one to do that. Otherwise she's going to disengage from the curriculum. And she said, oh, well, that sounds more like a one-on-one. And I'm thinking, well, Georgiana's probably brilliant. You know, that's what we need, you know, at the very least, right? So I go, okay, yeah, one-on-one sounds great. She's like, well, so what, asking me how long Elise is in, in class? She goes, okay, yeah, that sounds doable. All right, let me get back to you. And then I get an email from her. Here, She says, you uh, have requested a non-public BII. Per our telephone conversation, your child does not have any behavior needs that impacts her accessing the preschool curriculum. That is the opposite of our conversation. Your concerns are primarily her low muscle tone. Which just make that up? She just made that up. Okay, so you go back again, you would say, can you please, is this an assessment? Can you please put it First in writing? First of all, don't you get that phone call and go, when she says your attorney said that you may want this and you go, great, ask these questions to my attorney. That's what I should have said, or I should have said <laughs> I need this in writing, and I did. But again, this isn't this is not what you expect from the school system, and this is what we are experiencing. Like this is shifty. But you could write back and say you promised Elise to be delivered to school in a horse-drawn carriage. <laughs> you know, it's it, you're just making up things at this point. You're just making up things. And she said, uh, and she she says a couple other things. And she says, if you want to file for mediation or due process, here you go, whatever. Wait, so what was that? So did she just make a, she just did an assessment on the phone and then made a decision? Like, what was she calling it? She didn't call it anything. She just called it no. <laughs> That's not, not funny. No assessment? No, that's what what she did was she got the request for something, made a phone call. Now this and is then, because there's a percentage of people that'll be like, okay. Is that what? That's why? illegal. What she did was illegal. Her title is specialist in formal dispute resolution. Oh my gosh! You know that's oh, a totally no, no, different no. thing. I mean, this is like just what she has underneath her. Like there was no like just a, a dispute resolution. Well, is... she didn't mention that in her email, right? But... Or in the conversation, right? Or in the conversation. So I was infuriated, and I sent, I forwarded the email to Georgina. Like this is. This is a lie. I am so angry. I am not contacting them. Will you please handle this? And Georgiana's recommendation was to do uh, an informal dispute resolution. However, it never happened because they were given different workers through LAUSD and both times it was the ball got dropped, which I think may have worked a little bit to our benefit in the next IEP, but that was a whole year of not having a one-on-one. And let me tell you that bled into all of Elise's activities. Because exactly what my fears were happened. She would get so frustrated when she couldn't do the things the other kids wanted to do. And unless the teachers were giving her one-on-one, and this is a very small school, and they were great with her. They really took this seriously. Um, They would tell me what was going on. And she had a lot of fun socializing, and that was very important to me. But they couldn't give her one-on-one 100% of the time. And that's why Elise needed a one-on-one. And I also want to say, while I'm saying this, I have been in the Pals program classrooms because we go in there to get adaptive PE and they are very small classrooms with a teacher and 
an assistant, she would have still needed a one-on-one in there. This was not about where she was with her peers. This was about her needing a one-on-one to access the curriculum. Did you file a complaint against that woman? I don't know if Georgiana did, but I handed it all over to Georgiana. But but if I can still do that, I think I should. You should file a complaint just because of misrepresentation and of lying. She lied. Oh, yes. She lied. But see, I didn't record the conversation. So th- but it's okay. Like it's, it's, she's still mis- misrepresented and you didn't say that those things, you know, I, I would still file a complaint. And then at least she has a, this is my thing. It's like, honestly, most of the time, nothing gets done. We had a teacher that was found no, no, guilty. Wait, no retroactive no, things after you complaint, you're saying. Yes. Yeah, that's true. You do, you do complaints and it's not like someone goes, hammer's coming down. The hammer isn't not coming down. There is right? no hammer. But because, no, there's no hammer. <laughs> um, it's sad. It's not funny. It's, no, I think sorry. we laugh because we don't have any yeah, I don't, What am I going to do? Because I cry? You want me to we're cry? Gonna talk, we'll talk about the trauma in a little bit. <laughs> but ridiculous. We laugh because it's so ridiculous that this happens. It's like you can't do anything about it. We had a teacher who was found guilty of discrimination. She kept her job. She still was in all the music videos that the school did every year promoting the school. She was on a committee. She was on a a governance committee for the school. She was found guilty of discrimination against a child with a disability. By her own district. By her own district. Found guilty of it and nothing happened. But I do believe that the next time she goes, one of our biggest problems was the principal kept saying, well, she has no strikes against her. She has nothing at all. She's a, she has an impeccable record. Well, you know what? She doesn't anymore. Right. Because even if they don't say anything and it don't take it seriously, that's on there. The next parents who file and she gets found guilty of discrimination, they'll start to see a pattern mm-hmm. and it's frustrating, but we do all of this work for our children and for the people who come behind us because we're trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to make this system, we're trying to heal it and fix it. And those things take time, unfortunately. We just chip away. We just, just, just kind of, I don't, chip, yeah, yeah. Chip like away They chip away at our souls. I know, well. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so I think that you file that complaint and um, there's two different ways to file it. There's two different. There's like the the due process way and then there's another one that's directly about employees of the district and you just you file the complaint now I did that against the principal of our old school and they were like well this is a special education thing you have to do this this and this and they found their way against whatever but still the report is there and the complaint is there now for LUSD in particular because there's hundreds and thousands of kids so this is someone that we have a lot of listeners in Los Angeles California area would you found this on their website? Yeah, it's on the website. There's two different. There's different great. complaints. Great. I will that you put a make. link to that. That's great. Uh, and you can do in this for podcast episode. And then at least, even if you're from out of state or out of the district, you'll at least see that you may have a similar link on your school's district's website. The other thing that I just did yesterday was I went on to the link. They have a special to the special education department, and then they have a phone number that says if you have a complaint or need help. And I went, hmm, what's this? Because we're having a challenge, not with our new beautiful school, still the old school, still the old school. So I made the phone call. Mm -hmm. It took a little while to get through, but somebody picked up and I told her what, what I was calling about. And she said, I'll put you to my supervisor. So it's the same thing. I don't know what's going to happen. Again, it's still about the old school. 
but at least it's on the record. There's something written down. And I think sometimes we get so busy and so overwhelmed. I know I do. I did. I got so overwhelmed and my time is so precious. And, but just taking that moment, even if it's a phone call, even if it's a short email, doesn't have to be one of our 20 pagers, like just a short email to say this happened. Chat today. GPT it and just send it. Yeah. <laughs> send it. There you just, go. Just That's some good, words. It's just so important in order to make that change. Right. It's so important that they're not, honestly, in my experience, they're not held accountable. Eventually they will when somebody takes a look at the file and sees all of these complaints that have gone unanswered. So I believe in that. I really do believe in that. I believe that in the end, the good will prevail. I do. And you're writing it down. You send it, make yourself a copy, obviously save that email for yourself. Right. And then Wash your hands of it. As much as you can. As much as you can. Try to let that go. Because that's the thing. We've got millions of things on our plate. And that at least is just one that you can push to the side. But maybe you feel like once you do that, that you can let it go. Like I've said my piece, you know, I've said it, it's there. And maybe they just start to pile up on that desk. Because I feel like our, our voice is taken away. Our voice that we have to fight for our children is, is suppressed as much as possible. And it might help, it might help heal us and make the change if, you know, I'm going to write a strongly worded letter. That's a joke in our family, by the way. Because I always write strongly worded letters. <laughs> we say it all the time. What are you going to do? I'm going to write a strongly worded letter. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is important. And I think that's a good reminder uh, for me too, because I, I want to help those who can't afford a lawyer as much as possible. And things like that do make a difference. And you're right. You're just so tired and exhausted and there's so much to do all the time. But when Elise starts kindergarten this fall, I'm going to have more time. So maybe I can go and, and get some of those to-dos done for the people who are still dealing with this kind of treatment. So let's go back. Let's pick up where we were. I just wanted to stop and say that. I just wanted to ask you and then go on that sidetrack. So let's go back to these things should not happen. You should not say I've been lied to. Right. They don't belong in the education system. No, they're, they're not. It's not professional. Um, and we did see it bleed into everything. I, as time went on, it, it became more and more of an issue with Elise, like when she was taking her dance and I would, I would act as her one-on-one -on -one in her dance classes, or even when we were in adapt, adaptive PE, where she used to do a really good job of participating more and more. She was trying to just uh, leave or do something that are disengaged because if you don't have someone there to get you back on track, every four-year-old is going to push those boundaries constantly. And then fast forward to today, and I'll get to that eventually. Now she has a one-on-one. -on -one, those behaviors have gone away. And even her um, adaptive PE therapist was like, wow, there's like a noticeable difference. And, and I did too, because if when she's somewhere that she loves for a few hours, a few days a week, she's engaged, she's being held on task, and she's feeling more proud. She's coming home with things that she did that I know she could not have done without a one-on-one -on -one sitting with her the whole time. And she's so excited. Like she beaded a necklace and she's like, isn't it beautiful? And she needs one-on-one -on -one for that. But I think that's what the system does. They perpetuate a stereotype. They tell you what your child can do, and then they do their damnedest to make that true. Which in the long run hurts everybody. 
I mean, it hurts the least because if she had those services, if any of the kids have the services from the beginning, whatever level of independence they're going to be able to gain. And like some people will always need someone there, but some people won't. And so the sooner you give them the tools they need, the sooner they can gain their independence. And that is good for her. Just emotionally, we all want it to be as independent as possible, but economically, right? Because then eventually they're not paying for the one-on-ones for a longer period of time. And she can get, she can get a job or she can do these things sooner rather than later. And so it doesn't make sense long-term. This is really all about short-term political gains in someone's mind. Now, when you say political gains, because I'm thinking money for that specific school, I have kept myself up at night thinking, why would someone who has dedicated their life, or at least, you know, in the United States, we dedicate our lives to our jobs. So yeah, they've dedicated their life to helping educate children. Then there's a whole group of people that have dedicated their lives to helping people that need assistance, aka special needs and special education teachers. What's the reasoning? What's the What's the thing that keeps me up at night and says, why? Why would someone do this? And you say political reasons, I think financial reasons, maybe. I mean, it, it, you know, of course, economically, we give the, we, we start helping a child earlier on. Yeah, that's quicker they're going to be independent. But in my mind, a lot of teachers go, well, they'll be, just get them to the next grade. Just keep going. Just get them out to the next school then. I think we're still stuck in the archaic beliefs and limits of the ability of people with disabilities, particularly Down syndrome. And it's all connected. Um, Workplace politics, finances, and even government politics are all connected. It's all part of a a system where you follow the money, right? Whenever you look at problems, whether it's war or your kids, you being lied to because your kid's going to need some money to access the curriculum they need, follow the green. But here's the thing that I just, I don't even want to talk politics, not because it's not valid, but that is none of my business. My responsibility is raising my children. I actually should just be able to send my child to school and then support him in the way that I support my daughter in their education, which is pretty hands-on and volunteering and being a part of the community. So I have no more tolerance for we're so busy. Our schedule is too tight. We don't have the money. You have the money. You're getting the funds. You're getting the grants from the special education grants that you've applied for. That money needs to go towards my child. And it's not my responsibility. If you don't think it's your job, I really do believe this. If you do not think it's your job, you need another job. There are so many compassionate, empathetic people coming up in the world that want to teach, that want to make a change. Step aside, go do whatever makes you happy, and let these other people who actually want to change the world come in and do the job right. They're stuck in this, you know, the people who institutionalized our kids or didn't give our kids heart surgeries because they had Down syndrome and then created a statistic that said people with Down syndrome die young. You made that statistic and then you made it a reason to limit our children's life. You didn't educate. You said my child will never learn to read and then tried not to teach him. And guess what? 
My child knows how to read because I stepped over you. I fought for his right in a classroom and I sat next to him and helped him learn to read. But how many kids can't read because right. they were just not given? Because they were told they're not going to learn to read. But they should have finished that sentence and said, we're not going to teach them to read. Exactly. And that's why it was meaningless for me to stay up at night and think about it. Now that I've made this connection in my head because Julie's like so good about reinforcing something I totally know, right? That follow the green. It's the money. But like you said, Lori, not my problem. Because if I want to find out a why, it's because maybe I can fix it. Maybe I can do something, right? That's just a parent trying to do something. No. Well, we can not, fix it. We do have yes, the power in our but, own child's But not life. fixing that person Ugh. and why they're doing what they're doing. I don't understand. And we don't need to. No, I don't need to understand. That's one thing I didn't learn. Right. They just need to get out of the way. Yeah, you just yeah, need, they just need to, to get move. out of the way. But we need to, like, they're not going to be held accountable, but we need to do our best to make them accountable. I can't tell you the same woman who sat in an IEP and were like, we're taking your child off curriculum illegally. We fought. We did all of these things. The next year, sat in the IEP. With the principal. To, to the principal and lied and tried to deny. I, I said, you did this. And she said, no, I didn't. And I said, I have it recorded. It's recorded. If you would like to listen. And she, about, I mean, she just dropped because she was at that IEP. She was so she was doing that sweet thing next to the principal and just being like, mm, yeah. And then I was like, I, I forget what I wasn't you did malicious. A great job calling her out. I though. wasn't was malicious, so nice. but she was trying to say something about our son. And then I brought out her va- validity or how much we didn't trust her because the year before she had illegally tried to remove him from the curriculum illegally with no assessments, no assessments done it like just, and tried to pretend that it was the right way, but it was actually illegal. And she was like, I know just like that. Oh, it was so gross. It was so gross, but we didn't have to know why, right? That we was don't just have what to know why. That's they just were what doing. They, yeah. It's just, so we needed to move past that and say, great, what can I do at this moment in, in time? And it's not always trying to fix things, but I do wish that, I mean, I think that our, our journey on our IEP just made us such pit bulls. And I do wish in, in hindsight that I would have had the ability to see the helpers from Mm -hmm. the, you know, the friends from the foes. I do wish I didn't necessarily put them all together in the same boat. And even if I did have them in the same boat to be able to say, great, so what are you going to do? And I wish I would have had the knowledge among all my other things that I say that really work and the in writing and everything to say, great. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. And you know where I learned that? Citizens of the world. Because they say, here's all your child's strengths. These are the areas that we see that he could use some, not even like weaknesses. They don't call them that. And the next sentence, Julie, is, and this is what we're going to do to support him. I love that. That's the next sentence. So that's what I needed to ask those other schools. So what are you going to do to support him? Right. And if we could have taken that pit bull vibe we had and just placed that more onto the person we had hired, the attorney. Like, you know, if I had been able to transfer that part more to the attorney and let them be that voice that has to sometimes get a little louder, um, because it can be a very stressful thing. It was very stressful. But it's I, much less stressful to say, okay, now what are you going to do? No, That's such I a wonderful place to come But I do from. think they suss you up though too. And I do believe, and I know that there were some times they look at you, they want to know if you know the law. They want to know if you know your child's rights. If you don't, if you're not going to in any way hold them accountable or stand up, they're going to roll 
right over you. I mean, even when you do know, they still try to roll right over you. And in our case, we were advocates like so strongly and they still did it. So, um, but your experience, so you're back at the, so let's continue. Well, you guys have done that for me. I know that, I know that doesn't take away everything you guys have had to go through and the emotional toll that can take on your heart having to be a pit bull. But I feel like you guys have really done that for me where I feel like because of everything you guys have told me, like, I'm gonna let Georgiana deal with that. Right. And I'm just going to log and I can be ready and have all my information prepared. Um, and you guys have given me a lot of verbiage to use and it, and it helps to feel like you're armed with that stuff. So then you can feel like you're coming into this, like, you know, I'm going to do the best I can. And if it ends up in court, it ends up in court. So thank you. When you say that, that's such a great thing that you said. And if it goes to court, it goes to court. I think that like, that's it. Look, if you can't do it and we need to go, all right, this is your choice. And because that was said to us so many times in IEPs, well, you know where to take it. You can take it to the district, like a threat that made us, our response was, we just didn't want that to happen. But I think the correct response is, well, if you can't do your job, then I guess we'll go where it can be done. And I don't think that's malicious. I think it's saying the truth. Your job as an IEP team is to work together to find the right supports and create a plan for the child, right? By the way, they have the right to do the BII. They have the right to give you more speech. They have the right to do all of that stuff to provide all of the supports. That's their job. They can do it. They choose not to because the likelihood of you fighting for it is very small because we are it's a money, it's a time, it's a stress, it's a Even lot of in other a culture things. where we're in a we're in a state and a city that all that's available and all that is given to some kids. And even in that culture, other kids are denied those things. Mm-hmm. And so I can only imagine other parts of the country, other parts of the world where maybe some of that isn't even a, a norm to be, you know, offered up. It, it's gonna be it could be difficult. But just about bringing people aware of the importance of this help. I think I would have not tried to make it right and not tried to like see these people as other than doing what they're doing and just been like, okay, this, maybe this is the system. The system's obviously broken. If this is what we have to do, we do it. And the truth is you don't always need a lawyer to go to due process. As long as if you have all of your facts, if you have your, if you have your IEPs recorded and someone said something like it was my job not to educate your child, whatever they say, that's, and I know there was another time I went in and I actually had recorded what this teacher said. I didn't get halfway through when they said, you can shut it off. Okay. We'll give you what you need. I didn't get halfway through it before they were like, they were embarrassed because I do believe the people at the district, that is their job to uphold whatever. Yeah, we've had a lot of success when we go actually to go to, when but, you say go to court, but that the whole idea of that can be overwhelming. And, you know, you, you need to be able to financially take a day off of work. You need to be able to get yourself, you know, to the courthouse and it can be a stru- court is, can be stressful. But if you just go to the, the place of, well, here's maybe a more just brain that's going to look over my case and say, what is fair? Let someone else look at it because I'm not getting anywhere on this side. And we really have had success once we go do it. It's just stressful. I, but I do also believe it's because we are where we come from is fear-based. No, it goes we, back we to the, from, what I was saying when people yeah. go, oh, I, I want to you know, offer this person a tea or something like that and make it comfortable and make yes. it all right. Or, or they touch my kid. Well, okay, I'll just make it all right. 
because we think we need to but we don't give this person it's something. so gross yeah and it's kind of what we it's one of the things we wanted to talk about because it's a very abusive relationship the the district the the IE, the IEP the school system is very abusive and inappropriate it is and uh we ended up getting a one-on-one for Elise at the next annual in January of 23 with that same case manager but only because we had a lawyer we would not have gotten it without her they ended up saying at the end of it the case manager said you know as you know and when i hear that i mean to me that's 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 such a, a positioning. I don't know. What are you about to say? I don't I don't know. Um, as you know, I don't have the authority to give you a one-on-one. And right then our lawyer, Georgiana, just put the brakes on. She was like, in fact, you do. And that's why you're here in this IEP and not you as an individual. No, you don't have the authority, but that's what the team is here for. And we had a doctor's note asking for a one-on-one for safety concerns, which they they were like, Safety is not a reason we give it. It's for curriculum. Her adaptive uh, PE and her OT, who had both seen how she was starting to disengage, both said she needed help with staying on task. And had I not been in the room, she wouldn't stay on task. Um, We had really an agreement from everyone. She needed it. And so she said, these reasons that they've given are right here. She read the law to them. She's like, you can give her a one-on-one. And then the gentleman who is a supervisor over our case manager, he cut in and he said, okay, you know, we're going to give you the BII and we're going to, you know, do the P kit. And I I, I almost was in shock. (laughs) I was like, wait, wait. And I said, I'm sorry, are we getting it? Are we getting the one-on-one? And they were like, yes, you're going to get the one-on-one. Can I just ask uh, just to define P kit? So a PKIT is a pre-kindergarten itinerant teacher. And what they do is they'll come into the classrooms. They will kind of see what's going on. They'll make some assessments about tools maybe the teachers could be using to work with the child um, a little better for what their needs are. And sometimes can um, write up recommendations for future IEPs. And when we had initially asked for the one-on-one for Elise back in 2022, and it was denied, our case manager offered uh, the P-Kit instead, and at the same time said that she had been a P-Kit at this preschool, and they were really good. And so one of my arguments back, and they tried to offer that again in 2023, was that you yourself were a P-Kit there. You say they do a really good job. It's not about the teachers not need, knowing what to do. They're great teachers they need the extra body. They cannot be a third person. There had been a lot of back and forth push before the final statement that our case manager made of, as you know, um, we're not, I'm not authorized to give that to you. And in my mind, I asked, I thought, okay, well, so they're going to give us a P-kit too, but I don't see how that's going to be helpful. But that P-kit ended up becoming our new case manager and has just been a lifesaver for us. It's just incredible how things work out. That makes me so happy that that's what came of it. That's that evolution that I'm hopeful for. Yeah. When I got that first call from Haya, she was uh, so informative and transparent and really urging us to um, get that transitional kindergarten IEP in place. And I, I called my friend up who, you know, I, I met many years ago working in advocacy and she 
I felt like it was the call I made when I first met my husband. And I was like, I hope he really is the person he seems to be because he's brilliant. And I was like, I hope she really is like this great advocate. She really seems like she is, but I'm going to have trouble trusting that um, on the outset. And, and sure enough, she just was great. She, she got the IP in place. Um, I was having trouble getting the one-on-one lined up. This is a couple of months after um, the IEP and I had been emailing our old case manager and just being given excuses. But uh, our new case manager, Haya, followed up with it and was like, oh, yeah, they they had some information wrong. I fixed it and they're going to give you a call. And um, so we got our one-on-one. And, and before the IEP, I was like, I'm going to take a gamble here. I kind of trust this woman. I sent her a number of modifications I wanted for kindergarten based off of things that I've heard in your guys' podcasts and also things that you personally told me. So I sent her a list of these things. Um, and she was like, yep, great. We're going to we're gonna put all these in there. And I, I sent her like also a, a form I had created for Elisa's preschool teachers. And I also have sent already to whoever will be Jasmine's new kindergarten teacher at CWC, which was a list of all her gifts. This was some an idea I got off of one of your podcasts too. It's like a list of all of her gifts and then some of her obstacles, but then the tools that work with her to overcome those obstacles. I sent that all to her. I'm like, please don't let her use this against us. <laughs> please let her like really want to help Elise. And she did. She she gave us all those and more. Now, the one thing I want to ask, because there are accommodations and modifications. This is the same tricky street as inclusion and mainstream. Inclusion is in the classroom with their peers. Mainstream is when your student comes for certain things. It's usually lunch, PE, art. They both have their place for different students, but just know the difference when you're asking. Modification, accommodation, call them accommodations because if you start to change, modify the curriculum, you're changing the curriculum, they'll use that for changing the curriculum to alternate curriculum and then essentially pulling your child off curriculum. Yeah, they never call it pulling them off curriculum. They always say we're giving them an alternate curriculum. And alternate curriculum means that they're not going to receive the diploma, which might be something, that might be something, but you don't make that decision anytime before, I'd say seventh grade, before seven, maybe high school. You don't make that decision. You don't make it for a lot of kids. You don't make that decision when it's it's so early on and they're still developing and learning. I remember in certain IEPs, what was her name? Lisa Jones. What's frightening about Lisa Jones, who was the APEIS at Carpenter, she was one of those people who lied. She was one of the people who tried to pull our son off curriculum. She was one of those people. And now she actually runs special education at another school. And it just frightens me so badly that this person left and is now like in charge and people will go in and trust that she's doing it makes me it's just so it's so horrible do you know what school that is no i have to look it up i just saw it when we were looking for uh schools for sophia i happened to see that this person and i was like that can't be the same person what is and lisa jones okay and she's really good at what she does she's really good with smiling and just violating your rights but she would always say well we can't do that because that's modifying the curriculum so we'll have to take them to alternate curriculum and I was like nope we're accommodating the curriculum and really like I think what parents really need to know is what are accommodations accommodations are a calculator so quit trying to take my kid off curriculum for math he has the right to a calculator 
Isn't that even that playing field, right? Shorter spelling lists, fewer problems on a test. Don't put like and, a, a test with 60 words. And not that we're going to stop having Liam memorize, which, you know, I guess we do this still, but memorize multiplication tables, or not that we're going to stop teaching Liam how to count. Um, when we get further into math, and it may take him a little longer to add some things when we're doing, let's say, division, well, let a calculator take care of that, and we get past that stuff we've already learned, right? So we can learn the next step. That's where a calculator is beautiful. It allows you to, oh, let's get past the stuff we already know time-wise, and so we can get into, and not wear everybody down, let's get into what the next step of learning in math yeah. And thank you so much, Lori, for correcting me that I did put accommodations because you told me that. And so it is accommodations and I got to get modifications out of my my vocabulary for now because that's not for Elise right now. Um, but yes, it was accommodations and it was stuff like you guys are saying, like ignoring poor penmanship because of her lower tone, that if they're writing letters and they want them to each do it like five times well, that Elise would be able to do it like half that amount of time, like, you know, two or three because it's like much more exhausting for her than it is for them. Dictate to scribe. Dictating to a scribe is an accommodation. Yeah, yeah that's so an if amazing it, so one. Liam writes papers now. So sometimes they'll spread it over a long period of time. So he's he he types the whole thing. But other times it's he's had a very full day and it's like it's a lot of typing. And so he's able, especially like there are sometimes he wants to tell a story. So obviously his story is coming out faster than he could possibly type it. So he'll just tell the story to his BII or to his resource teacher. And she just types his stories that he writes just as he says them. Dictate and describe is wonderful in the first process of writing an essay, mm -hmm. right? So we're just going to do a rough draft. So Liam's basically going to talk the rough draft out. Then, then you manipulate and, that, and, and talk about it more and readjust and we go through the process. Now, when it comes to actually we're now typing the paper, Liam typed the whole thing. He did. It took him a while sometimes because he's using two fingers, which, you know what, we're, we're using two thumbs most of the time we type anyway. So, But he'll type it all out. But he didn't wear himself out over weeks of this process. You know how they say, we're going to write a, this semester we're writing a, a big essay. And the dictate to describe really made him be able to go through his ideas without having to stop and wait and write and get, you know. But also participate in the classroom. Also mm -hmm. be present in the classroom instead of trying to figure out. I know like up until fifth grade, they would have science. He never was taught any science because, you know, they write stuff on the board and kids have to write it. They never once gave him notes. They sat him there without his BII because that's when she went to lunch. And so he got zeros in science because what the accommodation is, give my child the notes. You've the written notes. them down. You yeah. have them in your lesson plan. Give my child the notes so he can then participate. But they never did. And a lot of times what parents, what they do is they'll say, well, that's a modification. It is not. No. A modification would be changing the actual curriculum. Remember that an accommodation helps your child to access the curriculum. So if they're taking a test and they can't finish the test because you've given 20 problems... Well, uh, each of those problems represent a different portion that they've learned. Like when you're doing spelling, you have a list of 12 or 20, right? And every, there's like four for like the IE and four for the EA and four for the OU. And all it does is say, all right, well, just to make sure that they can master the sound, they shorten it. 
So you don't have like the repetition and the redundancy. It's due twice. And it's it's more doable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if your child takes tests better, like we would always have him take tests in the classroom, but then also in his resource. So in the classroom, he's participating. And I think it does something for him to be in the classroom mm-hmm. taking the tests, and also for the students to see Liam and they're taking the test with him. And it's like a, a thing that they do. Liam, know, Liam can see other kids struggling just like he does. Whatever it is, we're all equal here. We're all in this together. But he can also take it outside with his uh, resource teacher. That's an accommodation. You know, there's a lot of accommodations, and it's just meant to help them access the curriculum. When you speak of notes as well, some parents are more hands-on or have an opportunity to be more hands-on than others um, for whatever reasons. It's nice to have those notes maybe ahead of time. Can we schedule a time that we can That's get... That's an accommodation. It's an accommodation. Give me the notes so that, hey, over the weekend, we can just look it over. It's called front-loading. Front-loading. Let's get those spelling words or vocabulary words ahead of time. So maybe we can go over it a day or two in the weekend. Just, you know, 30 minutes here and there so that Liam's a little bit more prepared for the moment. What was it? In third grade, he was bringing home spelling tests and he was getting zero on them. And I was just like, well, where are his accommodations? His accommodations should be a, sport, a shorter spelling list, and we need them the Friday before. So he has Friday, Saturday, Sunday before, and then he has the additional week. But he has a whole weekend where they have long days where all they do is have fun. So we can just I like, love doing introduce, spelling words with introduce. him, like yeah. when he first woke up and when he's right before we go to bed, like with a with a story with a book, right? Because that's the times you're gonna really ingest this information, and if I can just do it. Right before we go to bed, here's these 10 spelling words. We're just going to go over it twice. And then when we wake up, go, hey, remember, and incorporate these words. Now that I know them as a parent, I'm incorporating them all day, right? When we see it out walking around the park or when we, I incorporate it into a story, we're talk- there's always interactions with your child like that. So, man, what a difference, right? Because it helps support him read when he sees the word. He was getting 100. He got 100. He was getting 100%. And I know there's a whole thing like there's, you know, phonetics and learning to actually learn how to spell and say the words. But this helps, you know, we were in a school that taught to test and it helped him stay on curriculum and it helped him to get to where he needed to be. There are better ways of of teaching. There are better ways, more effective ways where your child can learn. But unfortunately, that's not the system. I mean, we're still fighting to actually have the right to the education. Now, I will tell you, at our new school, Citizens of the World, they're teaching Liam math. He very rarely uses his calculator because they're actually teaching him. I can't tell you how much I appreciate them because they're doing what nobody else saw fit for him to do. Nobody else could waste their time because they believed he wasn't going to learn math. They believed that he wasn't going to learn to read. They believed that he couldn't write a paragraph. It's all they had seen because it's all that they had done. Done. Yeah. Okay, so so Julie, you had three IEPs to get Elise through her transition and then where she'll be going next year as citizens of the world for her kindergarten. So happy. We are so excited. So those two, all of that stuff was some of the challenges that you had in the first two. The last IEP, you now had a new caseworker, which don't we wish we would have filed a complaint and got a new caseworker before, but you have a new caseworker and that one went off without a hitch. Mm -hmm. 
how did that feel? How did that go? Because that is the hope. This isn't all just about, oh, this is terrible. Because I think this that was terrible. And these are the ways we take those challenges and we get through them and we make it better. And we can still like come out the other end. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. It felt like I was with people who actually cared. And it was just that one person who changed that that atmosphere. I, I can say that thankfully the therapists we've had for Elise all along have been wonderful. And also in the last couple IEPs, we had um, either our private speech therapist, uh, Miriam available, or she wrote uh, a report just because we like our speech therapist we have now, but he didn't have much of an opportunity to get to know Elise yet because there was such a delay between them hiring them and us getting with them. But the main person talking during an IEP is your case manager. And they set the tone for everything. And she just was, she was nice. She was happy. She talked nice to my lawyer. She, you know, because she knew she wasn't doing anything she shouldn't be doing. And she was like, I'll see you at the next IEP, Georgiana. I mean, it was just, it felt good. It felt like the way things should be. It felt like how people should treat people. And she really cared. And and I, and I also did think, gosh, I hope she doesn't get in trouble when she gets off IP because she's doing all the right stuff. She's doing the right things for Elise. I just felt so good. It's going to be hard to not always have that from this point forward. But now that I've had it, I'm not going to accept anything else because you know it exists. It's out there. I'd say now that you have it, that's your path moving forward because I know where you're going. You're going to Citizens of the World. And we did not have an attorney for our last IEP. Mm-mm. And we're not having one this Wednesday when we go in. But I, even as I say it, I have the same thing where I'm like, yes, okay, mm-hmm. let's just, you know, I do. I don't. And I think that's what I want to <laughs> talk funny, to you about. Right? It's like, you just have that, that trauma. Yeah. You have that trauma of like, oh, I love these people and this is great, but wait. As you were saying, and we're not going to have one this Wednesday as an attorney. No, I said, but I'm glad I got the number of our old attorney. And I know she's right in our back pocket, Mm -hmm. ready to go. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the effect of, of what we go through with these, with these, but I do understand what people say. I don't have an attorney and things work out. I, I initially I go, Hmm, are you just thinking things are working out? Are you just going along? with what the school's dictating for you to do. And you just go, okay, great. I guess you know. But also if that's what you're doing, you're doing your best. Yes. You're doing your, every parent, every caregiver is doing their very best. And it's not until we know more that we can do more and change more. Like, you know, you might not be ready. When I said that though, I was going to say, I feel that initially that, oh, are you just going along with what the school's saying? But then I go, well, there are, Schools that are doing it right. Yes. Maybe everybody goes, I want everybody to go to a Citizens of the World. Type of school. Right. Type of school or Citizens of the World. Mm-hmm. And you talk about that feeling, right? That PTSD feeling. And you guys know this already, but the IEP we had in January of 2023, my brother had just died a week before and not even a week before. So there's that going on. And then in our last transitional IEP with Haya, we had COVID. And we were at home. So there's so many other things going on with people just in general. And then to have that kind of pressure, you really need good people. You need people with compassion and people who care. And you don't have that 
tense feeling of, okay, here we go. They're going to lie or they're going to try to segregate my child. They're going to try to dismantle the, the um, education system for my child. So it, it's so important for so many reasons that you have an advocate there for you. And the thing I love about CWC is the fact that you guys feel like you don't need to have one feeds into everything that they talk about wanting to support there, which is diversity, equity, inclusion, right? And belonging, because you can't have equity when some parents can afford a lawyer and others can't, and that changes what they get. So it's so good to hear that, that you guys have had that experience. It is equity. It is diversity. It's inclusion. Three things that are wonderful for society, and we see it. Not just in the school system. The school system, this is our fight. This is where we see the inequality. This is what our fight has become. But if we can be all of those things in life, that is what changes our world. It's a great conversation because, and I forget this, I forget that sometimes when people hear DEI, they believe that that means something's being taken away from other people to make that happen. That for everybody to belong, that means somebody else has to have something taken away from them. And, and that's not true. And if we all just do the right thing, I mean, the ironic thing is when we do the right thing, when we are altruistic, that in the end, we all benefit economically, emotionally, intellectually. And since written history, you can see that happen. And I, I hope that people who have been told that feel instead like they're being excluded from a circle for everybody to be included, that that's not true. This circle is drawn around all of us. And if somebody is looking for a utopia, that's it. I mean, that to me, that's what it is. And when people feel like they're being pushed outside of that, that's fear-based. And we can almost all agree that Yoda knew what he was talking about. And he said, fear leads to hate, hate leads to the dark side. You don't have to be afraid of including people and loving on people. I love that new t-shirt that says, equal rights for others does not mean less rights for you. It's not a pie. A pie. I don't know. <laughs> Julie, thank you so much. It's always such a great conversation with you. And just thank you, as always, for your openness and willingness to share. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, you guys. Thank you for everything you've done. And it does. It feels like just talking to friends. And I hope everybody out there that's listening feels like that, too. They just feel part of a community because it's really helped me immensely. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Amazon.